scriptures. We're going to be reading from Matthew 5. And one of the scriptures that we're reading this morning is one that we're looking at as sort of a, um, a theme scripture. Go ahead. Sort of a theme scripture for this whole series. And Ella's going to read that for us. And it should be up on your screens as well. Go ahead. Jesus and the law. Don't even begin to think that I have come to do away with the law and the prophets. I haven't come to do away with them, but to fulfill them. I say to you very seriously that as small as seven or exist, neither in the smallest letter nor even the smallest stroke of a pen will be erased from the law until everything there becomes a So this is our, as I mentioned, our theme verse for this series on Matthew. What Jesus is doing is he's saying, I am not coming to get rid of what the law, the Old Testament, what we think of, especially we talked about how the Ten Commandments form the heart of the moral law, but I've come to fulfill it, to complete it. And so in this section of Matthew, as we begin our series in Matthew, we're looking at a few places where he says, it is written, or it has been said to you, and then he'll... He'll quote either one of the um, verses from the Old Testament or a verse and part of the oral tradition that's developing that the religious teachers are sharing. And he says, this is what it says, but now I say to you. And he speaks with authority. And he does a couple of things as he does that. He reinterprets, or I shouldn't say reinterprets, he interprets for us the heart of what that law was to begin with, why God gave that law. He's revealing God's heart and interpreting God's heart for us. And then he expands on it to show the implications of that if it's truly lived out, which is always bigger than what people thought it meant. So those who want to be legalistic, they will say, give me a line. Tell me how far I can go and where I cross it, I become a sinner. And over here, I get to be a saint. And Jesus really erases those lines and makes the line so far out there that we all realize both that we'll never reach it without some kind of miraculous power of God. And so sometimes his disciples will go, these things you're saying, they're impossible. And Jesus will say, well, it's impossible for human beings, but not for God. So he moves it so far out there that you're not going to be able to reach it. And then he shows us how it, the implication for it is in every part of our life and in all of our relationships. So it's so much bigger than we thought. So let's read today from Matthew 5, and we're going to read in verse 30, beginning in verse 38. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you that you must not oppose those who want to hurt you. If people slap you on your right cheek, you must turn the left cheek to them as well. 
When they wish to haul you to court and take your shirt, let them have your coat too. When they force you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to those who ask. And don't refuse those who wish to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who harass you, so that you will be acting as children of your Father who is in heaven. He makes the sun rise on both the evil and the good, and sends rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, just as your heavenly Father is complete in showing love to everyone, so also you must be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we know that we need your spirit to help us understand this. It is the same spirit who inspired these words, who works today to show us how this applies to us and how it changes us. And we ask for this to happen. In Jesus' name, amen. So turning the other cheek. When I was a kid, I took this very liberally. I was actually in a kind of fight, if you will. I, this is my earliest memory of this. I had heard about this, I think in Sunday school, maybe on a Sunday morning, I don't know. But I knew this verse, and I, it always bothered me, this idea of turning the other cheek. Well, one time I was in the playground at a school next to my house. It was at school time, and I was riding my bike with my friends. And it was a different time back then. There were always neighborhood bullies, and the bullies could say and do things to you that adults didn't typically intervene in. And we were on the playground, and there were a couple of these bullies over there, and we got really brave, and we got a little, you know, shouting match. We had our bikes, and they didn't, so I think we, we had a little bit of courage there, like we could get away. And I don't remember what we were even saying to each other, but I remember I said to them, the, the very worst and vile thing I knew to say at that time was probably like a seven, eight-year-old, which was, go suck an egg. That's, I don't know where that came from. That's what I, I remember saying that to them. And then we got on our bikes, and we rode off as fast as we could. <laughs> And then we didn't even look back. We got on the other side of school to a field far away, and we were talking and hanging out and um, kind of let our guard down. And a few minutes later, these two bullies came charging out from around the side of the building. Before we could get away and back on our bikes, they caught us. And they, they, the biggest one confronted me, and he hit me. He hit me with his fist on the side of my face. I remember it was on the, on the right side of my face. He was obviously right hand, and he hit me. And it was in that moment that I, I knew that that verse came to me absolutely in that moment. You're going to turn the other cheek. Now, I'd like to say that I was doing this out of holiness. I don't know if that was it or if it was just absolute fear. But I, looking back on that, I find it very interesting that I didn't run. I did stand there and I looked him in the eyes and he hit me again on the other side with his left hand. And I stood there. And I didn't move. And he, they said a bunch of stuff, threatened us, and they left. And I remember the look in his eyes, he was much older and much bigger than me. And I remember the look in his eyes of what is going on. Of 
confusion. Not of fear, but just simply of, of confusion. Now, the, there's no great ending to that story. I think I went home and told my dad, and my dad went out looking for these guys, and he never found them, and, you know, kind of a typical thing, and life went on. I wasn't hurt by any means, other than having my pride hurt, and being a little scared, and learning a valuable lesson about yelling at bullies. Um, but I, I do remember in that moment realizing that there was power in what Jesus was saying. It was something different than physical force that I didn't fully understand. And I still don't fully understand. This law that Jesus is talking about when he says, you've heard it said, um, you know, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This law has been referred to as a lex talionis in Latin. It's, a, it's been written in many different cultures' laws, not just in Scripture, but it is in the Old Testament. And the reason this law was there was because it was a law that was to encourage justice. In other words, if someone does something to you, you can't just take revenge bigger and better until it escalates to people are getting killed. There's a limit. There's a fairness. There's a justice that has to happen. If someone kills your cow, you can't just go out and burn down their house. But you have the right to take their cow or to kill their cow. Okay? If someone breaks your arm, you can't just go cut off their leg. So there's this law um, called lex talionis that gets built in. And it's meant to stop this retaliation that just builds and builds and builds and gets better. It's a law of justice. And so Jesus is going to interpret this, the purpose behind God giving this to his people, and he's going to give some concrete examples of how this works. Notice he does here what he did with the previous laws from the Ten Commandments. He, he states the law, he says, I say to you, and then he gives them both the purpose behind it and expands on how it needs to be obeyed and how this works out if we do it. So the law, this idea of eye for eye, um, Jesus goes beyond this. He goes beyond simply getting justice and fairness. He goes beyond into something that later we call um, nonviolent confrontation. So the original purpose of the law was this. God's people would be a people of peace. They would take the high road. And not getting revenge. Jesus, as he gives these examples, and he talks about this, it makes it really clear. This is what God wanted. His people to be on a higher level and to hold themselves to a higher standard in how they respond. You shall not oppose those that hurt you, Jesus says. That's a, that's a hard verse. Do not oppose those. And actually, it's a difficult verse in a number of ways. And one of the reasons is because this word that gets translated as oppose really is a word that means you that you don't try to get revenge. It's not, I think we want to say you sh- you're not going to resist. Don't we kind of think that way in our head? Like, we're not going to resist those who want to hurt us. It's not really what's being said here. And I'm not just trying to do gymnastics to make this easier. This word really means this idea that you are not going to take revenge or get back at those who want to do harm to you. And then it makes sense that that's what he's talking about as we see his examples And as we get it worked out. Before we look at his examples, I want to ask us a question. Is this law, this tooth for tooth law, this lex talionis, is it still practiced today? Yes, absolutely. Very much so. In fact, our courts 
are in, you know, their job is to decide what is just and fair compensation for someone who's been wronged. Not simply to give people whatever they want, but to hold people accountable to justice and to give them something back or uh, something fair. If you take a life, you will forfeit your life if you're found guilty, either through the death penalty or through life in prison. If you steal something, you will forfeit your freedom for a time and you'll have to pay it back in full. So yes, it absolutely is still working it out, being worked out that way, and it's a good law. But notice that there's also something that's a more powerful cultural law that works itself out in all of us and in society. This is the law that Paul will later talk about as being the law of sin or the law of the flesh. And how this works is that when someone hurts us or someone does something wrong to us, we want revenge. We want to pay them back bigger and better than what they have done to us. And we don't have to look any further than our movies and our books and our culture and how many of them are built around this idea. Someone hurts me and they get you to to buy into the idea that this person now has the right to take out revenge to its full. Whatever that may mean, however much destruction and life-taking that results in, that's, that's the law of culture and the law of sin. This cultural law says that when someone does wrong to us, we don't simply wrong them back, we hit them back many times harder. You cut me off in traffic, I'm going to pull in front of you and slam on my brakes. Right? That's the cultural law. And if you don't think it's that common, just listen to how this is described by the person who is right now the commander-in-chief of the most powerful military in the world. He said, and I quote, When someone attacks me, I always attack back, except a hundred times more. This has nothing to do with a tirade, but rather a way of life. A way of life. And I think if most people were honest, they would probably say something similar. Someone does wrong to me, I'm going to get them back, but way bigger. So that lex talionis may be practiced by the courts, but the reality is, without some intervention, most of us resort to something even more basic and different. And what Jesus calls us to goes both beyond the simple justice law of tooth for tooth, eye for eye, and goes well beyond this instinct for this sinful law. So here's Jesus' examples. He says, first of all, talked about this. If someone slaps your right cheek, you turn to them the other also. In seminary, I once heard a a very well-intentioned but convoluted explanation of all of these and how they tried to explain how what Jesus or how what Jesus was telling us to do was actually getting back at them in some way by doing this. That we were getting a kind of revenge or we were being on the offensive. In all of these. And I think there, there is a little bit to that. But I think you have to do a lot of gymnastics. That just don't work with the text. To try to make that happen. Why would we even want to do that? Well because when Jesus says. That when someone hits us. We have to turn the other cheek. This goes against first of all. Our most basic biological instincts. When our blood pressure goes up. And when we are in a tense situation. 
we have the same instinct that every animal in this world has been created with, which um, biologists call the fight or flight. You either fight back or you run away. And notice that Jesus isn't advocating either of those. He's actually advocating something that's much harder. You're going to stand there. So you're not just fleeing. You're not attacking back, but you're going to stand there and you're going to turn the other cheek. The, what Jesus, what's being described here in the text is actually more of an insult to honor kind of slap than a fist, you know, punch to the face. In other words, this is the, especially in these cultures of honor, this is a big deal. We think about this maybe in American culture back in the time of the duel. Someone might take a glove off and slap someone in the face and that meant they were going to go, they might actually kill each other. Such a huge insult to do something like that. In some cultures today, the idea of taking a shoe off and throwing it at someone is one of the biggest insults you can do. It's an insult to honor. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. This is one where you're saying to yourself, something inside of you has been insulted by this other person. They are attacking you personally. And Jesus says that you're not going to run, you're not going to fight, but you're going to turn the other cheek. If we want to understand what this looks like, I think we really have to look at those who have done it well. And one a Christian man who did this very well, we just had a holiday in this country to recognize him, um, Martin Luther King Jr. If you have ever watched any of those videos, you know, I wasn't alive during the time that all of these things were happening, but if you've ever seen any of the, the videos of young children standing and not fighting back and being attacked by dogs, or people standing and being knocked down by hoses or being beat with clubs and not fighting back, but also not leaving. We see, I think, what Jesus is talking about here. This is a different way, isn't it? It's standing up still for justice and for what is right, but it's also not taking revenge. It's not a way of violence, but it's not a way of just rolling over and letting people do whatever they want to you. The second example, and these again are all just working out of this. So if we want to understand this, all of these help us understand this. The second example, Jesus says, if someone sues you, so now we're in the court. If someone sues you to take your shirt, give them your coat too. So at this time, people wore a couple of garments. Typically, they had a shirt, which was like their undershirt. We might say their underwear. And then they had a coat, which was like the outer garment. And if you were poor, your coat was also your blanket. And Jesus says, if they sue you for your shirt, go ahead and give them your coat, too. Okay, now you're naked. Paul will challenge the church in their thinking when it comes to how the courts are used and how we sue and take people to court. In 1 Corinthians 6, 7, and 8, he says, Paul says, when you take another believer to court, you have lost the battle already. Why not be treated wrongly? Why not be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do it to your brothers and sisters. You see what's happening here is Jesus is saying, people, even this person who's taking you to court, they are more important than the things you own. But there is still a kind of resistance involved in this, isn't there? 
It's not simply saying, if someone sues you for your shirt, just let them take your shirt. Jesus is going beyond, and it's very difficult. He's saying, if they take your shirt, go ahead and give them a gift. Go ahead and give them your coat. Who does this? Someone is suing you, and you actually give them a present. How would someone respond to something like that? That would be so unexpected, wouldn't it? So counterintuitive. The third example Jesus uses here is he says, if you're forced to go one mile, go two. To understand this, we have to understand the culture. Jesus is living in a time when the Roman army is occupying all of Palestine. And the Roman soldiers had a right to do with any occupied people this. They could say, you will carry my stuff for me, or your animal will carry my stuff for me, either way. They were allowed to do that for a mile, but not any further. So what Jesus says is, when this happens to you, which, understand here, this is, this is a huge humiliation. You're already you know, occupied by this foreign military. And now you're being forced to help them, to serve them. And being forced to do it at sword point, essentially. Because if you don't do it, you know what's going to happen. And Jesus says, after you get done with that first mile, go ahead and go one more. Once again, I heard someone say that by doing this, you would actually get these soldiers in trouble and they might, you know, get, you know, get somehow demoted or, you know, arrested or whatever. And I just don't think that's what this is saying at all, to be honest. I think this is what this is saying. It's very similar, similar to the others. I mean, how often do you think this happened for these Roman soldiers? And what happens in that second mile? What's that conversation like? In that second mile. What's it doing to you. As a person who's no longer being forced to go. But now you're saying. I'm choosing to go with you. Another mile. Well at the very least. What you're doing is you're preventing someone else. From having to do it. Which I think is part of this. And then the last one. The last example he gives. He says give to those who ask. And don't refuse to those who wish to borrow from you. And then he gets into money again. It's just, it comes up and it's so hard for us. I mean, you, you just want to put an exception clause in there, don't you? <laughs> Give to those, unless they're not going to pay you back. Right? So, so difficult. And, and we could, and we could, we could work this out and we could say, yes, there needs to be some boundaries and there needs to be some understanding of how this all works. But Jesus is just, he's just advocating a radical generosity here that people don't understand. I mean, you're, you're giving and not expecting to get back is basically what Jesus is saying that you need to be doing. So all of this is a working out of what Jesus started with when the law says eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, justice. And Jesus says, no, you're going to not only be just, but you're going to go beyond that as my disciples. It's going to be so much bigger than that. The big objection I think we have to this right away is this idea that if we don't oppose other people who want to take advantage of us or want to hurt us, 
that we're just going to get run over. And so some look at this and they say, Jesus is just too, too wishy-washy and you know, he's not even a man. And these are the charges people level at him in all of this when they see this. And there's something in us that opposes that because when we look closely at these examples, we see that Jesus is calling us not only not to take revenge, but he's also calling us not to run away. There is a strength in here that is greater than the strength that fights back. Do you see that? How much harder it is and the strength that's required to do this. It's so much bigger. And Jesus doesn't stop there. It gets bigger as he goes along. You think, okay, that's enough. Can we just have an intermission now? And then the sermon goes on and he says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. The law said to love your neighbor. And Jesus said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. Hate your enemies actually is not in the Old Testament. But we believe that became very much part of the oral tradition. Because when you look at the Old Testament, there are a lot of prayers that come very close to that. Right? That you would hate your enemies. And so Jesus says, you've heard it said to love your neighbor and you hurt your enemies. But I'm going to give you this much bigger way. I want you to love your enemies. And he, he gives this really cutting point. He says, if you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same. And for them to say tax collectors is like saying the worst sinners. Don't even the worst sinners, those who take advantage of others, don't they do the same thing? Tax collectors hang out together and love each other. So how are you any better? I actually think maybe this is a scripture that should be written on the wall of every sanctuary because if we're honest, this is what a lot of Christian communities do. We're really good at loving each other. How good are we at loving those who don't love us? Or don't seem lovable? In all of this, I think it's fair to ask, how can Jesus demand this of us? How can Jesus ask this of his disciples? And then we think about it. Let's see, who was arrested and slapped and beaten? And had the power to call down an entire army of angels to fight back. It did not. And who was it who was put on trial and taken to the courts unjustly? And whose life was demanded of him and didn't argue back? Who was that? Who was it who forgave instead and gave a gift? The gift of his life and salvation to those who were wrongly putting him to death. And who was it who was forced to carry something for the soldiers? Who was that? One who carried his cross to Golgotha. And and who was it who paid off the debt that so many couldn't pay? Who was that? Yeah, it was Jesus. What about loving your enemies? Well, Paul will tell us, we were God's enemies. All of us. Our hearts were in rebellion against God. Jesus didn't die for us because we were his friends. Jesus died for us because we were his enemies. And he wanted to reconcile us with the Father, the greatest act of love he could give in giving up his life. So it ends, what we read today, it ends in saying, 
We should be complete in showing love. Some translations will say, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But I like this, this, this translation actually gets to what it's trying to say. It's not saying be, be morally perfect, obey all the law. But it's saying be, be complete in the way you show love to everyone. All of these things Jesus has been talking about, they're all working out of this. Of loving your enemies, of loving others. Of walking in the footsteps of Jesus. And so first... We have to give up this right that we think we carry and it's a right that we don't want to let go of. And that right is the idea that when someone does something to me, I have a right to get back at them. We do this in small ways and we do this in really big ways. And as Christians, Jesus is saying, you need to lay that down. That's not your right. You leave that to God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. The second thing is, we need to know that even though Every situation we face is different. And sometimes they're, they're very complicated. That Jesus is calling us to a better way of both confrontation of injustice and resistance to injustice. Both on a personal level and as a society, he's calling us to a different way. A way that is not violent, but it's also not passive. It's active love. It's active, surprising love in the way of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we, as we even think about this, we know there's no way we can do this without your strength and help. To love our enemies. To give without expecting anything back. To stand and face those who might want to harm us and not retaliate. Lord, this is a miracle that has to happen in our hearts. We're so grateful, Jesus, that you did this for us. And you modeled this for us. And that we're here because of that love. We ask that you give us the strength to be your disciples and to be your followers. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.